Well, good evening, Mosaic family. How are you tonight? Good. Hey, online, good to see you. We're glad you're here. My name is Colin. It's good to meet you. And uh, we are very, very excited that you've chosen to come and celebrate the personal work of Jesus with us tonight. Uh, Hey, we have a few things just to put before you, a few of them having to do with some uh, in-house, us as a family, some things we need, as well as some things happening outside of these four walls where we can join Jesus at work in our neighborhoods and cities. Uh, First and foremost is that we have a really cool opportunity. Um, Any Camp War Eagle counselors here? Nice, we got one. There should be a few more. Let's get, yeah, come on, we can shout for them. We can shout. We, uh, we've had the joy and privilege for years now to partner with uh, Camp War Eagle in particular uh, throughout the summers. Uh, a lot of them have time off on Saturdays where they'll come and worship with us in this place. And we as a body, not only do we uh, are so grateful for them and the ways that they continue to speak the life and person of Jesus into kids across Northwest Arkansas, Um, we also like to take the opportunity really to pray over them. So uh, as you leave tonight, or even as you're walking in, you'll see a few tables by the exits. Uh, We'd love it if you would grab a few prayer cards and just we wanna cover these counselors and um, their staff, uh, many of them who serve with us throughout the year here at Mosaic, uh, a few of them even on stage with us tonight. We would love it if you would take one of those cards and we just wanna commit to covering them in prayer as they uh, really do make a huge change for the kingdom uh, just down the road over at Camp War Eagle. So uh, if you are a Camp War Eagle counselor, after second service, we got a little dinner party. So my friend over there, stick around, we'll feed you, cool? Uh, next, and this one's really exciting, um, we have the opportunity uh, throughout the summer where we would love, love, love to spend some time together to talk about community. Uh, I love the way Diedrich Bonhoeffer defines it. He says community is life together. <laughs> and I would argue as well as Jesus would that you cannot follow him and not be living life with his disciples that our spiritual formation as we grow to be more and more and more like him, that's not something that happens alone in a closet. No, it actually happens on the day-to-day of life together with the saints. It's why Paul refers to us in the scriptures as a body. And so maybe you're in a community and it is thriving. Uh, Maybe COVID crushed your community and you're still like picking up the pieces. Or maybe you're just new and ready to dive deeper and get to know and have brothers and sisters walk this life with you. What we'd like to do is open up some discussion and training for it. And so if you wouldn't mind, scan that, uh, mosaicnwa.org slash news. Uh, We're gonna feed you food. We're gonna feed you food, right? And we would love to start out the summer really looking towards not even just starting in the fall, but how could we start to live this life of faith together as apprentices of Jesus that we wouldn't do it alone. So please, if you are a leader currently, come on, bring your best thought. If you're new to the community realm and you wanna make some disciples, we want you there. If you feel like I don't wanna lead a group, but I feel like the Holy Spirit has gifted me in some way, shape, or form to serve in Northwest Arkansas, come. We wanna, we wanna invite you into that place and in that space. We're gonna have uh, two Saturdays a month. You only have to come to one. And so if you would register, though, that way we can kind of have an accurate number for food. We would love it if you would join us. And uh, lastly, this one is uh, the most important of the things I'll say tonight, so listen in. Uh, we need help. <laughs> we have kiddos. Many of you probably have your kids in there, and it's amazing. Um, and we are having to shut down some classrooms because we don't have enough people to keep it open to hold. And so in particular, there's two women, and they're, they're serving right now, but Jen Kanak and Lori Hashin. Can we just give them a very big round of applause? Yeah. Ah, they are incredible. And... Jen and Lori right now probably have anywhere between like six to eight toddlers on both arms screaming at them, (laughs) and we need help. And so if you are in some way, shape, or form gifted with, with holding and caring and nurturing children, or if you're just looking for a way to hop back in and serve this community of faith, will you email these two? and say, hey, we'd love to. And maybe that's you and a roommate, you and your spouse, you and your community group. 
Um, we do not want to have to have families not be able to come and celebrate Jesus in this room with us because they can't get their kiddos in the room. And not only that, um, I have a five-year-old, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old who have developed and grown under the leadership of many in this room. And to be able to take the good things that happen in here and allow it to be expressed out there is a beautiful thing. So please, if you're interested, available, we need help. Will you email these two? And speaking of spiritual leadership in the family department, we have some cool opportunities tonight as we get to baptize uh, a few friends who have been impacted by leaders that, such as yourselves who could lead. And so uh, one in particular is a guy named Logan Self. And uh, Logan, I've gotten to walk with Logan for years now, and um, he is a faithful, faithful follower of Jesus. I feel like everywhere Logan goes around here, in some way, shape, or form, he's modeling what it looks like to be a disciple. I mean, this guy from hanging out with students, uh, from caring for my kids, from diving in. I mean, the guy studied the book of Revelation over COVID. So if you want to teach it or have some good eschatology conversation, this is your guy. And he just graduated. John Brown in the fall. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, and uh, Logan has actually, how long have you been serving with Hudson here, Logan? Third grade? When he was in third grade, not me in third grade. When Hudson was in third grade, so three years. Three years. And tell me, like, what has it been like? What has you and Hudson, I mean, some of the things you've seen in this guy lately? Man, it's really been really special just to come every Saturday night and just kind of see Hudson kind of grow in his walk with the Lord and everything. And the big kind of change I noticed was when COVID happened, COVID hit, before he was just kind of this, this, little, this little kid, you know, like fourth grader. <laughs> Just kind of come in, playing wall ball, hanging out. But when we came back, he walked in and he said, yo, Logan. And I was like, dude, he's like almost my height. But just the way he like presented himself and just like the way I saw Christ, even just through him speaking to me and interacting with, it, with our other kid, with everybody else, it's just incredible man, to just see. That's amazing. Hudson, see, like, come on in, man. Come on, take a seat. And Hudson, Hudson is, is it true that you believe Jesus is Lord? And that in this place tonight with this spiritual family that you believe he has died, risen, and is coming back one day soon? Yes. Awesome. Come on, hop up in here. Did you see? You ready? Let's do it. Okay. In the name of the Father, the Son. Can you put your hand over my... In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism. Made to walk in the newness of life. Woo! Hudson, give him a big hug. Get him wet, man. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. We love it. Isn't that fun to see just generations of discipleship taking place even in this room tonight? And not only that, we have Anthony Cooper, who's coming out to, to baptize his two daughters, uh, Bernay and Braley. So Cooper's come on out. Hey, you <laughs> come on in. Awesome. Anthony, tell us a little bit about your daughters and you, man, and even what this journey of faith has been like in this season. So first of all, um, can't tell you how humbled and blessed I am to get to baptize both my girls tonight. So um, so this is Brene. She uh, gave her life to Christ a couple years ago and just talking about baptism with her, uh, you know, asking her why, why would she want to get baptized now? And, uh, you know, she said she's got God in her heart, and she wanted to share that with everybody else. So, um, yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> yep. All right, Brene, you want to take a seat? Perfect. Brene, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> awesome. Come on in, Braley. Is it warm? She said, mm -hmm. <laughs> So Braley, she also gave her life to Christ a couple years ago. And um, she knew pretty quick she wanted to be baptized. We were at a family service here, and um, she was just extremely excited and intrigued by it. And um, when I asked her why she was ready to be baptized, she just said she loves Jesus so much. And I uh, just, just can't wait to share that with her family and her friends. Rayleigh, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Beautiful. 
Awesome. Awesome. Beautiful. Well, family, hey, would you stand with us tonight as we worship our good and gracious Father, His Son, and the Holy Spirit? Sing it out with us. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall We love you tonight. Amen. Hey, let's keep singing together, shall we?
Heavenly Father, we look forward to that day. We look forward to seeing that prophecy fulfilled in full, for being a part of that scene where every knee will bow from every tribe, from every nation, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God, we believe, help us in our unbelief. We believe, help us in our unbelief. May our hearts center, maybe in ways that it hasn't, in a week or in a month or in a year. May our hearts center in a way that truly honors you and looks to you and reveres you. Open our eyes to you, King Jesus, your magnificent glory. Open our eyes to you tonight. Amen. The mountains shake before him, the demons run and flee. At the mention of the name, King of Majesty, there is no power in hell or any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I am, the great
of humility tonight collectively individually Holy Spirit meet us where we are convict us convict us sharpen us show us where we have fallen short give us an attitude of humility an attitude of repentance Yet not I, but through Christ in me. King Jesus, our Lord and our priest, our sympathetic high priest, we love you, we need you. Amen. You can be seated. Mosaic, I can't think of a better way to start a worship gathering than through baptism. Is that not fun? I live for those moments. Uh, Hudson, Cooper family, thank you for your obedience. We were having prayer backstage just before coming out, and uh, I told those three students, I said, your act of obedience tonight is likely to spark obedience in the lives of other people. That's just how God works. When we're obedient to what he's instructed us to, he has a way of multiplying that effect and impacting the lives of other people. Mosaic, as we turn to the scriptures tonight, I want to pose a a thought to you to kind of get us thinking. Have you ever noticed how many things in life seem simple right up until you try to really master them? Think, for instance, a sport like golf. Any golfers in the room? You remember the moment before you were a golfer and you would see this sport on TV and go, 
what's the big deal, you know? It's just hitting a small little ball. How hard can that be? Nobody's chasing you. Nobody's throwing things at you. The ball's not moving. You just gotta hit it into that little four-inch hole. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Or something like running. On the most basic level, a race, all you're doing is putting one foot in front of the other faster than the people around you. How hard can that be? Or something like leadership. Leadership as it, at its essence, it's simply moving people from here to there. That's all it is. Or any musicians out there learning to play the guitar. All you're doing is strumming some strings stretched across a box. How hard can that be, right? Until you try to master one of those activities. And then you discover the depth. And you begin to realize some of those activities require a lifetime of study and input from other people and practice, practice, practice before you just start to scratch the surface of the depth. You know, the Bible is similar in many ways to what we're describing. On the surface level, the vast majority of the Bible a child could sit down and read and understand and have the character and the nature of God revealed to them. It's set up that way, thankfully. But one of the real beautiful aspects of Scripture is that there also is a richness and a depth to it that invites us as students of the Word to spend a lifetime studying it. And on occasion... We come to a passage in scripture where we realize, whoa, for me to get my mind wrapped around this, it's gonna take some heavy lifting. <laughs> it might even take a little bit of work to really understand the narrative that God was weaving together to get across to his people. Well, Mosaic, tonight, we're gonna look at a passage of scripture that has a depth to it that requires some heavy lifting that requires us to study the historical context and background in order just to scratch the surface of significance and meaning. You may recall if you've been with us the last several weeks, either online or in person, that we're in the middle of a series in the book of Hebrews right now. Studying this incredible letter or this incredible sermon written to Jewish Christians who knew the biblical narrative, and they knew the God who creates, speaks, acts, moves, and reveals himself. In fact, the original audience of this letter would likely have been extremely familiar with the Old Testament scriptures and the entire systems of laws and rituals and sacrifices that for thousands of years had pointed the Jewish people to the God who was not only loving and trustworthy, but also to the God that was righteous and holy. And so there's two major themes as we study this incredible book that begin to kind of bubble to the surface and, and are emerging as we walk ourselves through this book chapter by chapter. The first major theme, and we'll see in a moment why this was so vital to the original audience, but the first major theme that is developing is the superiority of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who ushers in a new covenant and his reign is final and eternal. And that would mean a great deal to that original audience as it does, does to us today. But a second major theme is this whole idea of perseverance. Perseverance in following Jesus Christ. You see, because of the, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, believers, both then and now, are called to continual growth. Even in the face of persecution, they're called to meaningful ministry within the body, to service even to those who would persecute them, to use their gifts 
for good works, to continue gathering with other believers and spur one another on. And we find ourselves tonight approaching what I would consider almost the filet of the book of Hebrews. You see, chapters five through 10 is gonna set up one of the most profound truths that we'll see as we study this incredible letter. We're gonna be introduced to a term that for some of us might be new. You see, as we approach chapters five through 10 in Hebrews, we're gonna come across a title and a role for Jesus that's extremely unique. It's where Jesus is referred to as the high priest. And I wanna even give you an outline. You can snap a picture of this slide or grab it online later. But as you study the book of Hebrews on your own through the, the daily devotionals that we're doing together as a body, here's where we're headed the next few weeks. In Hebrews 5 and 7, we're gonna see that Jesus is a new kind of priest. And tonight, we're gonna unpack that. In the weeks to follow, we're gonna see that Jesus, as this new priest, brings with him a new covenant. But he also brings a better sacrifice. And finally, we're gonna see how Jesus brings greater access to God. So let's jump in, Mosaic. Hebrews chapter five, we're gonna begin with the first six verses. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as their sins. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or today I reveal to others that I am your father. And in this passage, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You know, once again, Mosaic, at first glance, you read a passage of scripture like this, and if you're not careful, you can almost instinctively go, I'm not sure what's going on there, therefore it must not have anything to do with me today. I'll just keep on reading, and hopefully it'll kind of work itself out as I go along. Now, you see, this is a passage of Scripture that really does require some careful thought. Re requires maybe a, a good study Bible or a gifted Bible teacher to help us unpack exactly what's going on there. Because you see, the, the, the culture in which this was written originally is very different from our Western culture today. You see, for most of us, I, I doubt very few of us have ever been a part of an animal sacrifice in our lifetime. You see, the, the thought of animal sacrifice or of even the, the, the priesthood doing that on our behalf is very foreign to most of us in the room. But to an early Jewish Christian, their entire worldview was wrapped up in the priesthood. And their understanding of sacrifice and blood, the blood of an animal being sacrificed for sins on their behalf so that they could receive forgiveness from God and, 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 and measure up to the law that they could never achieve, that would have been front and center to their minds. And so a letter written about sacrifice and priesthood would have been very familiar with them. You see, in Jewish culture, there was a set of qualifications for a high priest that we see listed here. Number one, they had to be appointed by God. Number two, they had to be sympathetic with the people. Particularly, they had to be even aware of their own sin and weaknesses. And then number three, they had to be men willing to offer sacrifices 
on behalf of their own sin, but also on behalf of the people that they served. This was central to the Jewish worldview. But then as we come down to verse 6, there's this verse that seems odd on the surface. You were a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Who is this Melchizedek character? What is the writer of Hebrews talking about here? You see, you'd have to go back to Genesis chapter 14, where Melchizedek is first introduced to the Jewish people. He, and this is very unique, he was a priest king who lived at the time of Abraham. He was the king of Salem, which was the ancient city that would become Jerusalem. But here's what's really unique about Melchizedek. We don't know much about or anything about his ancestry. He lived centuries before the law and the priesthood was even established. And yet, the life and the leadership of Melchizedek reflects or is a prototype of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. And this is one of those remarkable biblical narratives that is pulled throughout all of Scripture and really is brought to a head here in Hebrews. You see, in Genesis 14, Abraham and Melchizedek have this meaningful interaction 2,000 years before Christ physically shows up on the scene. In Psalm 110, and you can look these up later, it's an incredible narrative that goes throughout all of Scripture, but in Psalm 110, King David is reflecting back on that Genesis 14 passage, and under the inspiration of the Lord is looking forward to the coming Messiah that will one day come, and there's a connection made that the Jesus that will come is going to be the perfect priestly king, and that Melchizedek, 2,000 years before, is a prototype, is a type of the coming Messiah. And here in Hebrews chapters 5 through 7, the writer of Hebrews makes this powerful connection and shows that original audience the connection between Melchizedek as a priestly king and Jesus the perfect priestly king. But you may be asking, why would this have been so important to these early Jewish Christians? You may recall, these early Jewish Christians were struggling with faith issues. They were struggling with whether or not to persevere in this newfound hope that they've discovered in Jesus Christ. In fact, central to the Jewish faith was this concept of the law and priesthood. One sets the standard, and in their world, one allowed them to bridge the gap when they screwed up. And so perhaps the greatest apologetic question that these young, emerging Jewish Christians would have faced is who's going to be your high priest? Who's going to make sacrifice on your behalf to make you right with God? And the writer of Hebrews, in a remarkable way here, is explaining to these early Jewish Christians, you can boldly answer that Jesus is going to be my high priest. Jesus is my high priest. Take a look at this in Hebrews chapter 7. Just a few verses later, we'll pick up in Hebrews 7, verse 23. There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. 
He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first, then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness, but after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath. And his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. Jesus Christ is the perfect priestly king that humanity needed and longed for. And this powerful truth was meant to bolster the faith of these Jewish Christians, just as it's meant to bolster our faith tonight. Because here's what's so amazing about Jesus in this role. Jesus is the standard. He's the king. But not only that, Jesus is the high priest, fully God, fully man. He gets us. He alone was capable of standing in the gap. But not only that, Jesus served as the perfect, sinless, spotless sacrifice that we so desperately needed to pay the price and the penalty for our sin. Jesus was and is the king, the priest, and the sacrifice. But tonight, Mosaic, you may be asking, so now what, Will? What do we do with this truth that we're discovering in Hebrews? Thankfully, the Apostle Paul answers that question. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You see, in a similar way that 2,000 years before the physical arrival, the birth of Jesus Christ, God placed Melchizedek in the Old Testament as a prototype, as a type to point to the ministry of Christ to come. And now, on the other side of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, until he physically returns to this earth, he has given Christ's followers the task of representing him as his ambassadors. And we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. Because Jesus is our perfect priestly king, we are to represent him in all that we do and say so that when people see our lives, they literally get an, a taste or see the image of Jesus Christ working in and through us. You know, one of the, the guiding principles here at Fellowship that has shaped the culture of this body for decades is a simple expression, name nowhere, fingerprints everywhere. You know, Mosaic, I remember where I was the first time I heard that expression. 
I was in a Starbucks on Walnut with Robert Cup and Chip Jackson as they explained to me some of the guiding principles of fellowship. And I remember them unpacking for me the mission of we exist to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ. And we don't strive to create a name for ourselves, but rather we desire to lead in such a way that our name could be nowhere, but our fingerprints, the influence of Jesus Christ could be all across Northwest Arkansas. And I can look back on that moment and recall that Jesus was activating something in my life in that moment. That I was gripped by that approach, by that philosophy of ministry in such a way that I knew I didn't care where the paycheck came from or what I did vocationally for a living, but I knew I wanted my life to be a part of that kind of movement. That instead of trying to create a name for Will, that's marked by striving and climbing over others, I knew I wanted my life to exist for the glory of God. And I began to pray consistently, God, would you find a way to use this knucklehead to somehow spread your influence all across planet Earth and get out of the way so that you could receive maximum glory with every breath and heartbeat that you give me while I'm on planet Earth. And it was so meaningful to me a few weeks ago to celebrate my 40th birthday, and my bride Sarah surprised me with one of the most meaningful gifts I've ever been given. In fact, she recruited one of the artists here in Mosaic to paint a simple painting for my office, that of a fingerprint. So that every time I'm in my office or meeting with people or planning talks or vision casting or doing trainings in the training center, that burn in the back of my mind would be this guiding principle. Name nowhere, fingerprints everywhere. And so this past week, with some of our leaders at Mosaic, I just begin to ask some of our leaders, can you give me some stories where you've seen this principle lived out within the body at Mosaic, where you've seen leaders who really embodied that principle of name nowhere, fingerprints everywhere. And some of the stories I got back were so compelling. And honestly, I struggled to know which ones to share, but I wanna share three of them with you tonight. I've removed the names of these individuals because again, It's not about the name, but some of you will know who these people are just by the description. But these are leaders that some of them for decades have lived out, name nowhere, fingerprints everywhere. This first leader, this description was given to me by Brandon Jennings about a leader who's had a profound impact on his life. This particular man gives constantly his time, talent, and treasures. He opens his home and creates a safe place for healing and discipleship. He does not hesitate to share his story of loss. He does whatever it takes to enter into other people's lives. He's faithful to the men he disciples. He buys people coffee on his birthday. He leads people to deeper relationships with Jesus. He's not ashamed to let others know he's a Christian. He's not afraid to put himself out there. He does not fear death and is a model of how to finish the race well. He admits he's broken and that he struggles. He does not have all the answers and he will admit it openly. What a cool description of a disciple maker, of a hidden multiplier. Another leader, this was given to me by Erin Duvall. She gave two descriptions of two different sets of leaders 
that serve in the Mosaic elementary ministry. Aaron writes, in the Mosaic elementary ministry, twice per month, they have popcorn and nacho nights for the kids. A couple in our church that served for probably 20 years in this capacity. They have made popcorn and nacho cheese sauce more than they probably care to count. Twice a month, this couple shows up early to make everyone's favorite snacks, and they stay late to clean it up. Even after their own children were grown, they continued to serve. Not only did popcorn and nacho night give the regular attenders a huge reason to be excited, but the elementary team has also witnessed many new children who are nervous to come be welcomed in and made to feel at ease by this awesome popcorn ministry. As I was thinking of that story that Aaron shared, I thought, if you've been serving popcorn and nachos for 20 years, there are some kids that were originally in that ministry that are probably adults now and are having kids. You talk about generational discipleship, name nowhere, fingerprints everywhere. Wow. Then this next one is a description of a leader in our one-to-one ministry here at Fellowship. In our Mosaic Elementary program, we have a wonderful ministry called One to One. The One to One ministry is designed to help any child or student who faces unique or special challenges that would benefit from additional support. In most situations, we use the buddy system where the individual is matched with a high school or adult buddy who will provide individual care in a classroom of peers or in our one to one area. It's one of the most compelling ministries here at Fellowship. One of the wonderful examples of a leader serving this ministry is from a woman who is now retired from working in special education. She has been faithfully serving for years and is paired up with an awesome kid. Each month, she coordinates on her own with the student's mother to see what dates they will be attending church. She then meets them at church and stays with the student throughout the entire kid's service. If the group setting is too noisy that night or he needs a break, she will take him to our one-to-one room that provides a quiet environment where he can play freely and be more comfortable. Because of her faithful service, not only does her one-to-one buddy get to hear about how much God loves him, but his family also gets to attend church knowing that he's being well cared for and loved. Mosaic, name nowhere, fingerprints everywhere. As we reflect on the fact that Jesus is our priestly king, he is the one that is to fuel all of this type of ministry. The realization that we have a Savior that stands in the gap for us, who is our King worthy of worship, who is our priest, who is in heaven pulling for us, cheering for us, mediating for us. But he also has served as our sacrifice so that when we declare him as Lord and Savior and accept the free gift of salvation, we are forgiven, we are made right, and then we are called to serve him with abandonment and invite others to get to know him as well. To live out, name nowhere, fingerprints everywhere. And I couldn't help but think, And studying this passage this week, Mosaic, and wondering what could God do this summer and fall if he were to raise up a dozen, two dozen, three dozen leaders who felt empowered by God to lead and to model this way? How many more community groups would be established across Northwest Arkansas 
if some leaders were to begin to ask, God, how do you want to put your fingerprints all over our neighborhood? How many ministry roles would be filled here within the body if leaders were to step up with abandonment and be committed to name nowhere, fingerprints everywhere? What kind of impact would it have across northwest Arkansas when a body of believers begins to live out this way and be obedient to the instructions of the scriptures? That's my challenge to you this week is to pray through that. What role, what capacity could God be calling you to where you could live out, name nowhere, fingerprints everywhere? Mosaic, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the truth that we have unpacked tonight. God, we thank you for this reality that you are the perfect priestly king that we so desperately needed. God, I pray that that reality would bolster our faith, that it would strengthen this body to become men and women who stand in awe of the superiority of Jesus Christ, but who are spurred on to persevere in the faith. God, would you continue to raise up, to produce and release leaders here at Mosaic, committed to name nowhere, fingerprints everywhere. And we agree to give you all the glory. God, we love you and we thank you for what you're doing among us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mosaic, have a blessed week. Go out from this place and put the fingerprints of Jesus Christ all over Northwest Arkansas. We love you.